message is done. Now, our theme for the year is one, as you can see on the walls, either side. But Good Friday proclaims loudly what our God has done for us. That's why we're here this morning. Everything that we need that allows us to have a relationship with our living creator has been done by him. Done by him. Now, let me explain this in some context, okay? And we'll work this through. You see, in our society today, we have many corporate symbols that, uh, you know, pictures or logos, and they're all around us. It's amazing. As I was preparing this sermon, I started to see so much more just in the advertisement and when you're in the car or on the train, these symbols, these logos. Um, But the interesting thing about symbols and logos is that they invoke within you some kind of response that is interesting that I think it's far greater than the symbol or the picture itself. Um, let, Let me now, if you're in primary school, I need your help, okay? Adults, be quiet. Because some of you just want to give the answer. Okay, tell me. Let's go. Come on, what's that stand for? Yes? Windows. What's Windows? What does it do? What does Windows do? Come on, someone under 12. I need your help. Okay, an adult, what does Windows do? It's a process for our computer. Okay, here's another one. Under 12s, what's that? You've had a go. Up back. Target, what's Target? It's a shop, and what do they sell? Junk. Did that what someone say? No, sorry. Okay, here's another one. What's that? Okay, yeah. Apple, it's a fruit market. No, what do they do? Electronic things. Okay, do you have an electronic thing made by Apple? What's it called? iPod, there you go. What's this one? Yes? Nike, what do they do? Shoes and outfits, yeah, okay, I'm in on that, right. Here's another one. Yes? McDonald's and what do they sell? Are they like Target? Junk? What do they sell? (laughs) <laughs> they do sell junk. You like, do you like McDonald's? Last one. What's that? In the red at the back. Olympics, what do they sell? What do they do? It's a little bit different from the others. It's sport and things, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. You see, in a very simple way, these symbols are able to communicate a thousand words pretty much in a split second. You see, any one of those, particularly the big M, and your children will give a response. Now, the interesting thing, that's just a letter. None of those others are letters, and yet they you know, cause us to have these, this response. And, and, and it's interesting that in a silent way, these can traverse cultures and languages. I was in Romania and I saw the big M. I knew exactly. Now, there's many other things in Romania because it's a, quite an impoverished country that I didn't know and I didn't know if I even wanted to be there. But when I saw the M, I thought, I can go to that place. I, I can have a feed there. Might not be the best for me, but it was better than other things that were around me. 
I think it's interesting how they can sum up what a movement or a business is on about without using any words. So what does that symbol stand for? Under 12? You had a go. Under 12? Up the back, you had a go. Come on. Yes, Joel. What's that? The cross. Now, what does that stand for? Jesus. Dying. That's right. Well done. Well done. Yes. He's going to preach it one day, isn't he? Yeah. That symbol, the cross, symbolises Jesus' death. Long before any of these other symbols that I showed to you, before they were thought of, Christianity had its emblem, and it was the cross. Now, just a little background. It came into church use around the second century AD, okay? Because up until that time, it was seen as a, Roman, uh, a form of Roman torture. So they didn't own it. But then around the second century, the church took it on and said, this becomes our defining symbol. And that's what we celebrate today. By the second century, the early church fathers saw it as the pivotal symbol of what had been done for them. What had been done for them. So what does it symbolise to you, adults, when you see that? I want to put it to you that the message of cross of Christ symbolises the story of all that Christ has done for us. He is the one and it is all done. This symbol proclaims a story that goes way back, even further than the 2,000 years the church had claimed it. And from the moment the first Man and woman sinned in the garden. The Bible tells me that God had it planned. That through a way, and the way we know today is the son dying, on the cross would be the means by which he would bring about humankind's salvation. That's what we remember today. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you and I have the opportunity to live in a relationship with the Almighty God. That's what it's done for us. And so you can say humanity has won by what Jesus has done. That's why we celebrate today. The cross symbolises all that it means to receive forgiveness from God through the death in our place. It says that not only has God fixed a day, he's also fixed a way to get us back to himself. And that's what it stands for. So here, under 12s, you ready? Here's another symbol. What's that stand for? Yes? Communion. Communion. Who said that? Oh, sorry. (laughs) There was a boy's voice out of a girl's mouth. I thought that was quite amazing. (laughs) Communion. So what does communion mean to us? Yes? You answer now. I can hear you. Yeah. His body for us. Yeah, that is well done. Yeah. So in the light of that, we are going to share communion right now. You see, the great thing about the symbols here, as we were just preached, listen to these words. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you, referring to the bread. 
Do this in remembrance of me. So just like we have those corporate symbols, we have some symbols right here, and that's all they are. There's nothing magical or mystical in taking communion. It is purely juice. It is purely bread, flour. That's all it is. But they symbolize exactly what we've just been told. This is the symbol of Christ's body given for us. This is the symbol of Christ's blood shed on the cross for us. Because Jesus, after saying this about his body, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's the contract. That's the the relationship in my blood. He says, do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. And I think today is a good day to remember. So let me pray. And then I'm going to ask everyone, if you'd like to come and take communion, come and get it, take it back to your seats, and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for these symbols. They mean so much to us. We can look at the cup, we can look at the bread, and we can say, you sent your son to die for us and to give us real life, new life, abundant life, a fulfilled life, through what he has done. We thank you for these symbols and we thank you that we can remember you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's try and understand the meaning of what Jesus has done. I'm going to ask this question. We'll we'll start with this. Why did Jesus die? Yeah, thank you. I might need that. Now, by quickly reading the Bible account on the surface, some might say this. Maybe it was this man, Judas Iscariot. He handed him over to the priests out of greed. Or maybe it was these men. They were the Jewish priests. We read that they handed him over to Pilate out of envy. Maybe it was this man, a bit small, the little man in the middle. His name's Pilate. But ultimately, he handed Jesus over the soldiers out of fear. And maybe it was them. Maybe it was the soldiers, those Roman soldiers. They were the ones that ultimately crucified him up on the cross. But if we were to answer it this way, we would be missing the major point of Jesus' coming. Because even though it was humans who put Jesus to death, he didn't die a martyr. And that's the difference. On the contrary, Jesus went to the cross voluntarily, even deliberately. From beginning to end, his life and his death, all that he has done was deliberate. In fact, I'll show you some verses. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He did it on his own choice. Jesus clearly set out from the beginning to voluntarily sacrifice his life for you. But I also read that the Father also surrenders up the Son for you. Paul tells us that he, that being God, who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all. 
How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So in the answer of why did Jesus die, the Bible is very clear that Jesus gave himself up voluntarily to do the Father's will. What Jesus has done was both voluntarily, voluntary and deliberate. And, and we must understand this, that no one put him on the cross except himself. And he did that because he had you in his mind's eye. You, me, this world. So what is behind this voluntary and deliberate act of Jesus and the Father and having Jesus die? Well, the answer to this question, I think, goes much, much deeper. And I'm going to try and break it down into four ways. The first one is this. What Jesus has done is for us. That's where he starts. He knew that through his death, he would secure for us something that we could not secure in our own way or by our own means. It was beyond us. He says it this way. He gave himself up to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Can you see that? To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Now that word redeem, interesting word. Let me try and explain it to you. There's a lovely picture. That's my father. That's my dad, and that's a train that he built. My dad builds steam trains. That's my life. If you want to know it in a nutshell, he lived in a garage building steam trains. I'm still alive today. He's 85 next month, and I think he's up to his fifth one. But the first one he ever built, that's not it, but the first one he ever built, he got to a point where it was consuming him too much and he just couldn't finish. He got it three quarters of the way. He needed the money, so he sold it, which was a very sad thing for my father, but he gave it away and received the money for it. Two years later, my older brother sought out where it had gone, found the man and said, could I buy it back for my father? And he did. Because they're pretty heavy, they're pretty big. I mean, that thing can pull 20 adults. He brought it back for my brother. He redeemed it. He paid the price. My brother paid the price to purchase back my father's train, which, by the way, had not been worked on in those two years, so he was able to finish it. That's what redeemed is. Redeemed means to buy something back. And Jesus paid the price of my life by giving up his. That's what redeemed means. Jesus even made mention of this when he was having the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. He said, this is my body given for you. How did he redeem us? By giving up his life. That was the price that Jesus paid for you, his body. You see, there was no doubt in his mind for whom he was coming to die for. He came to earth to die for you, and he came to earth to die for me. The second point is this. What Jesus has done is to take our sins on himself for us. Now, Jesus was pure. 
Jesus is holy. He's without fault. So why should he have to die? He was the son of God and and perfect people don't die. Perfect people don't die. The Bible makes it very clear that his coming was for us and his dying was due to our sins. It is our sins that are the obstacle preventing us receiving the gift of freedom that God wants us to give us, wants to give us. So here's another question for you under, under 12s. On a really black, wet, rainy day, is the sun out? It is. Where is it? Behind the cloud. That's right, you can't see it. It's out. We just can't see it because of the big, thick, wet, rainy cloud. You know what? It's the answer, really, to why you and I can't see God. Our sin is like the cloud that separates us from God. He is there, but our sin gets in the way and we cannot get to him or recognise him because that big, dirty, black, what we do, sin, gets in the way. So Jesus says, I come to do something with that. The only answer is for that sin, our sin, to be removed and be dealt with, to be paid for, to be redeemed before God's gift can be bestowed upon us. And the way he dealt with our sins, or saying it another way, paying the penalty for them, paying the penalty for our sins was to die. Saul said it this way, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures actually say about our sins? Well, Paul says it here, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, when we get to Hebrews... It tells us that he, that being Jesus, has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do what? To do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Can you see the movement that Christ has for us in producing what he desires? You to live in the freedom and the purpose that he has for you. And the outcome of all this, as John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's why you and I can have the freedom that we can live in today because his blood purifies us from all sin. See, all these verses, and can I just say there's many more like them, link his death with our sins. But what Jesus has done in linking death with sin, our sin with his death, is that he's brought us back to God. Yes, Christ died for us and the purpose of his death focuses us on being able to come back into this relationship with God, our creator again. In fact, Peter says this, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. His death was to bring you to God. 
Now, you and I have no hope because of that black, sinful cloud that separates us. But that verse tells us we can come into the presence of the living God because our sin, the cloud, is removed and the sun shines brightly for us in coming into that relationship. Now, he uses this word here is reconciled, is the word that's used here, reconciled, to be brought back. You know, I'm married to Fiona. I hate being out of relationship with Fiona. <coughs> Excuse me. It's horrible. She's my best friend. She's my mate. But when you have a problem with each other as a husband and wife, when you butt heads, it hurts me more than not having a relation, you know, out of relationship with other people. It hurts. And you know what? The celebration of reconciliation when we work it out and come back together as one is an awesome experience. Hopefully, those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, then what's it like to fall out of relationship with your parents? That can be a struggle that we can actually carry all our life if we're out of relationship with our parents. Being brought back together is an amazing experience. But our sin, you see, has put us at odds with God. We are out of relationship with him. The interesting thing is, if you get your relationship right with God, all other relationships will flourish. If you get your relationship right this way with God, then these relationships change. You will see your parents in a different light. You will see your children in a different light. You will see your workmates in a different light, your neighbour. And these relationships start to change. But you've got to have this relationship right first. And that's why it's the cross that brings it about. We need Jesus to die on the cross. Christ's death allows me to come back to God. The barrier that separated me from God, which caused me from having a personal relationship with my maker, has been removed. And I can now freely enter into God's presence, knowing that that which kept me away from him has gone for good. Last one, the fourth one. What Jesus has done is to make a way for me to live forever with him. I'm looking forward to living forever. There's more to life than just now. Now, life now is pretty good since I found Jesus. But he promised me even so much more when I depart from this world and into the next. According to the Bible, though, the wages of sin is death. Now, you know what a wage is, don't you? Under 12s? What's a wage? Who wants to have a go at that one? The wages of sin is death, a wage. It's a hard one, isn't it? That's why I need to explain it. A wage is the payment you receive for something that you have done. Okay? So if mum or dad go off to work and they come home and say, we can buy this for you because I've just worked all week, it's because they have been given a wage. I remember my first wage when I started as an apprentice. First year, 
apprentice, I still have this clearly. I'm standing in my white overalls. I've got another 30 apprentices standing even side of me. We're lined up and there's a lady at the front from the uh, accounts department and she has all these little white bags in a little box, woolly, (sighs) open it up, $45 (laughs) for a whole week's work. I was stoked. It was the most I'd ever earned. 45 bucks. Yeah. That's what a wage is. I don't know if I deserved it. I don't know if I earned it. I turned up. I know that. $45. But the wage for my sin, as this verse says, is that I die physically and spiritually. You see, the Bible's clear that death was never to be a natural event. It only exists really because of sin. The wages of sin is death. You see, my death is the outcome of my sin because death is, listen to this, death is a foreign intrusion into God's good world. I'll say it again. Death is a foreign intrusion into God's good world. It was not there at the beginning. And what I mean by that, when you read the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were not created to die. They were to live forever. It came about, we're told, as part of the penalty placed upon them because they sinned. That's what that verse is saying. It seems that God intended, had intended his image bearers a nobler end. Now, I don't know what that would look like, Maybe, and this is my guesstimate, okay, maybe it was a bit like what Enoch and Elijah experienced. What happened to those? I'll ask the over-twelves for this. What happened to Enoch and Elijah? Yep, Mark? That's right. They just were taken off the earth and disappeared. Maybe that's what he had for Adam and Eve and the rest of society as they were taken into his presence. Who knows? But throughout Scripture, we're told, and the sad thing is we never get that opportunity to actually know the truth because when Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world and all people die. But throughout Scripture, death, both physical and spiritual, is seen as a divine judgment on human obedience. uh, Sorry, disobedience. Therefore, if death is the penalty for sin as that says there, and if Jesus has no sin of his own, I've already said that, the Bible tells us that he's perfect, then he doesn't need to die. Because we only die because of sin. And if Jesus is sinless and perfect and pure, then he doesn't have to die. He more than likely could have just transfigured. Now I say that because there was an occasion where that occurred. Where did that occur that Jesus was transfigured? That's the word used. Where did that happen? On a mountain. That's right. Jesus takes Peter, James and John up the mountain and says, watch this. And all of a sudden he glows. We have two prophets from the past that turn up with him. And he's having this conversation with those who have already gone to the presence of God. And he's having this, this, this conversation. Now, when all this stops and they start to walk back down the mountain, and I think this is a clue here, 
Jesus actually tells his disciples not to talk about this until after the resurrection. And the question is, why did he say that to them? Why did he tell them, don't tell the others? We don't want them to know about what's just happened until after the resurrection. I think the point to understand is this. At any time, Jesus could have stepped straight into heaven and escaped death. He could have just been transfigured at any point. He's in the garden and he's saying, of Gethsemane, just before the, 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 the soldiers and the, and the priests come, and he's there sweating blood and he says, your will, God, not mine. Now, at any point, he could have gone, I'm out of here. He didn't have to go through that, but he did because he knew that the wages of sin is death and that all men die because of it. So he stayed around and he did what only he could do. He came down from the mountain and he went all the way to the cross voluntarily. No one could take his life from him. He insisted that he was going to lay down his life on his own accord. And that's why at the moment of his death, we hear these words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's his choice right there in those words. He was Jesus who had no need to die, dying our death, the death our sins deserved. And through his pain, we gain. Because he went down, we can get back up. We can rise to new life. And like he did, and which we will celebrate in three days' time, which Nathan's going to be preaching on on Sunday, we can rise with him because of what he did on the cross those 2,000 years ago. But today you and I can rest in the truth that Christ died for our sins. He took the consequence of our sin, the penalty that you and I deserve, and he bore it on his life. So what does the symbol of the cross mean to you? What does it conjure up in your mind? We have the many symbols of this world, but this is the one that should take you from your head to your heart and evoke in you something that is more than just they sell hamburgers or shoes or they're a computer programming company or I have an iPhone. This symbol is far more important to us than anything else. The single event of Jesus dying on the cross clearly states that God has a big problem with us, but he also has a big solution for us. And this is the only way. The Bible teaches very clearly that the solution has been done. So let me close. Perhaps the most difficult thing for many people to accept in all of this is that Jesus is the only way to a relationship with the Creator. You know what I mean? Some people say to me, really? Is that the only way you can get to God's presence, into the presence of God before God? Is understanding this, believing this, taking this on and making it my own? Is this the only way that I can have a relationship See, Jesus being the only way challenges, I believe, our self-sufficiency. Well, it challenges mine, not about you, but it leaves me with nothing to bargain with. 
Let me explain myself. If my rake breaks at home, I fix it. If I have a flat tyre in my car, I change it. If I have a problem with my wife in my marriage, I have to work on it. You know what I'm saying? So if you want to get to God, some people think, well, I go to church or I just do more good things or can't I just help people or pray more or try harder? (laughs) No. That's not the answer with God because I can never do enough to get to God because he's perfect. Now, in our society, we will try harder to do whatever we can in our self-sufficient modes. But when it comes to salvation, we need a saviour. We need to be putting up our hand and saying, help, I can't do it. The only way to God is to look the cross Look to the cross and see a perfect man, the God-man who died on our behalf because he hung there and took my pain so that I can gain. He has done and I have won. That's what we celebrate today. And all I can do is respond with thankfulness by handing over to him my whole life. Now, for some of you who are sitting here, I don't know all of you, Some of you have never heard this before, maybe, or it's never been explained in this way. And what I'm talking about, just like that video clip we saw before, is that you need to be able to say, I believe in you and deeply know it. That's called faith. What we've talked about today is God's grace upon you. He is giving you something you have not worked for. Our response to this is that you believe it, hold it firmly in your hand through faith and say, I want Jesus to be my saviour. Now, if some of you, I'm going to give an offering now to pray. So let's everyone just close your eyes. If there are people here who want that, I'm going to pray and I'd like everyone to pray along with me. Just in case there's someone here who wants to do it on their own. I'd like the whole congregation to say, let's say this prayer together. Almighty God, I'm sorry for my sin. The way that I have fallen and have not come up to the standard that you require. Thank you that there is a saviour. That Jesus went to the cross and died for me. And he paid the price of my sin. Father, forgive me from my past. All that I have done and that bears heavy upon me. I release that to you. And I want you to change my future. Amen. Now, if you have prayed that prayer, that is your call to God to do something. And can I say, if you prayed that in the belief that that is your choice, you've just entered into the presence of God and he now is your heavenly father. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Okay, I'm going to ask the band, would you come on up, please? We're going to just... Stand and have one more song.
You know, Easter is not so much a question of what you can do as realising what God has already done. God has done it for you. Jesus came here to this earth to rescue us, not to humour us. You didn't come here for an experience to hear the bloke at the front talk. You've come here to say, you know, it is only through him. It is only by him. And it is all for me that he went to that cross. Because the truth is, and listen to this, God really loves you. Let's see.